Would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2? To Luke chapter 2. We're going to finish our time looking at the Christmas story by looking at who are probably the least suspected participants in it, the shepherds. So, Luke chapter 2, we're going to read verses 8 through 20. God's word says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray to the Lord together this morning. Heavenly Father, this morning I pray that you would allow us the divine privilege of hitting pause on our lives, hitting pause on our plans, hitting pause on all of the chaos, the beautiful chaos that is today, that we could savor the Christ who has come for us. The gift that's Tracy articulated that you have provided for your people that we might be made right with you. Lord, bring us into worship. Bring us into awe. Bring us and allow us to taste a bit of that which the shepherds tasted all that night. That our hearts might be elevated. That Christ might be exalted. And we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, if we're honest, when... Christmas falls on a Sunday, it feels like a bit of an interruption. There's already a lot of things that are going on. You already have places to be and traveling plans and family get-togethers. You may still have gifts to wrap, especially some of you men. You have meals to prepare. You have people coming over. You have kids that kind of don't want to leave all the stuff that's at their house. And so... It'd be hard to admit it. It'd be hard to say it out loud. You probably feel a little bit guilty. But truthfully, coming to church can feel like an addition to an already hectic day, to an already chaotic schedule. Well, if you feel like this has been a bit of an interruption, that actually gets to what that original Christmas would have felt like all those years ago. 
Now, some of y'all remember what TV was like before you had a DVR, right? You had your show, you had Jack Bauer on 24 or Lost or Andy Griffith, whatever your thing is. And you would have that schedule that was coming on at 6 o'clock on a Tuesday night. And you, you would kind of build, if you had your show, you'd build your week around it. And you would look forward to it all day long. And you'd have your dinner done and the kids in bed and all the things that are just right so that you can come and watch your show. Was there anything worse that when you had your show coming on, when all of a sudden the anchor of the news would come on. He'd say, breaking news. And the banner would come. And then your show's ruined, right? That's a little bit like what life would have been like for those shepherds all those years ago. The, the shepherds worked hard. They were chasing around what, were, what are impossibly dumb little creatures in these sheep, trying to keep them from what wants to eat them, which is basically everything. And they've been chasing them around throughout the hills of the of the high country there, and all day long, you can just imagine what they really want to do is just get back to the camp, sit around the fire, chew the fat, hang out with the guys, tell some stories, and so that moment has finally come. The day is played out, they can't really be out, and in the nighttime, they, they have to kind of just leave it up to Providence, the safety of the flock, but there they are, gathered around the fire, ready to spend some time, when all of a sudden, breaking news. The sky divides and the glory of heaven shines across the darkness of the sky and interrupts their night and everything they had expected with the most unexpected news in the world. And it's that night, that night with those shepherds and that breaking news moment that we're able to really see why Christmas really matters. Why Christmas really matters for us 2,000 years later, Christmas for those of us who are living in an increasingly academic and secular world and filled with naturalism and humanism, why is it that this story has significance and meaning today? See, what the shepherds show us is on that night, bad news became good news. Bad news became good news. If you had what was world-changing, life-altering news, who is it that you would tell first? Maybe you would go to Fox News or CNN and you would want to be able to see the red banner going across the bottom of the screen, breaking news and the anchor coming on and describing what's happening. Or, or maybe you would reach out to the New York Times or the Atlantic and hope for a, a serious journalistic piece that would be written upon it. Most likely, Mark, forgive me, you would not reach out to a used car salesman with a giant purple gorilla that's inflated in the front lot, right? Gallup polls shows that used car salesmen are the least trusted people in America. And, and Mark, preachers are really high on that list too. <laughs> so, but you probably wouldn't reach out to the people that are, are trusted the least. Except that's who God reached out to. That's who God reveals the news of the birth of his son, this breaking news, this world-changing, life-altering news. You see, the shepherds, they were a distrusted people. They were despised people in many ways. Their work kept them from gathering with the saints. It also caused them to have to constantly deal with, with death and dead creatures, which made them defiled and unclean and unable to come into worship. So essentially, they were almost like the class of the Gentiles. Further, the, the shepherds became really well known for being uh, a little bit sleight of hand. That if they saw one of your sheep kind of meander over, they would just kind of collect it into their flock. 
so that, you know, take, give a sheep, take a sheep kind of thing. And so they were not trusted, they were not considered to be particularly reliable sources of news, they were, they were not considered to be people that would be particularly well uh, worthy of something that would be important to know. And so it's no wonder that when the glory of the Lord enlightens that darkened sky on that Christmas evening all those years ago, that those shepherds, the despised of the world, the distrusted of the society, on the fringes, probably, probably looking over flocks that had stolen sheep, they become afraid. They're, they're humiliated by what they see in the glory of God. They're humiliated by what they see in a glimpse of, of the edges of his holiness, a, a beholding of something of his righteousness. And to understand the story of Christmas and the significance, you have to recognize that the glory of God humiliates. You see, all of us have been squinting for so long that our eyes have adjusted to the darkness. And it we can hardly even recognize how underdressed we are for a meeting with God. If you hang out with people who still sheep, it really doesn't feel like that big of a deal if you still a sheep. And if you spend all of your time comparing yourself to people who are sexually promiscuous or people who are dishonest or people who are, are prideful and arrogant, people who are driven by selfish ambition and by greed and by materialism, then you can compare yourself and you might even be able to compare yourself favorably and you can believe yourself to be well-dressed. But let me tell you, when the glory of God breaks through, when the holiness of God breaks through, when you glimpse what is actually pure, when you glimpse one who is actually right, when you glimpse one who is actually holy, trying to feel good about your good works, trying to feel good about any semblance of morality or, or uh, ethical living that you have about yourself is, amounts to trying to feel big while standing on the rim of the Grand Canyon. It's an impossibility. It's a humiliating experience. And this is why throughout the Bible, when everyone, whenever God or the angel of the Lord, or, or in some way the, God allows his glory to be, to be glimpsed in a, in a particularly physically manifested way, people tremble and they are afraid. There is no human audacity in the presence of God. There is no human boldness in the presence of God. The glory of God humiliates sinners in its presence. And this begins to get to why Christmas is actually good news. Now that doesn't sound like good news, but this helps us to understand why Christmas is good news. That the glory of God, which humiliates us, ought to have become the power of God that annihilated us, but instead it was the grace of God that liberated us. Yeah, God's glory it humiliates us, but God's grace, God's grace liberates us. So here are the shepherds, and they are feared. They were filled with a great fear. But what is the very next thing that the angels say to them? Fear not. In other words, here they are beholding the glory of God, knowing their unworthiness of the message that they're receiving, uh, knowing the unworthiness they are of these heavenly angelic visitors and those angels that ought to have annihilated and them speak of and say, no, 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 no. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid that what I have for you is good news. 
What I bring to you is not a war horse to annihilate you. What I bring to you is a baby. A baby that is going to set you free. A baby that is going to liberate you. You can imagine what that would have been like. Here they are filled with great fear. Fear that is all-encompassing. Fear that, that causes the oxygen to leave their lungs. And yet here they are saying, the angels responding to the fear of the shepherds by saying, Fear not because I bring you great joy. That the news that I have is the great fear that you feel in the presence of God's glory has now been overcome by an offering of great joy. Great joy has displaced great fear. And, and I know you're sitting here thinking, well, maybe for everybody else but not for me. We're shepherds. We're not even allowed in the temple. We're not even allowed to offer a sacrifice. We're not even allowed to gather in the, in the congregation of the righteousness. But he says what? I bring good news to you. And not only to you, shepherds, but to all the people that are like you. That This is for all people, all nations, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, Scythian and Greek. There is none. There is none for whom this baby has not come. Oh yeah. That's what Christmas, Christmas is about. Bad news. The glory of God that humiliates. Becoming good news. The grace of God that liberates. Secondly, I want you to see that it's promises became a person on that first Christmas. Promises became a person. I have down there at the bottom of the screen, 2 Corinthians 1.20. This, this verse has just really been on the forefront of my mind lately. I love this. I've quoted it to you a couple of times, but I wanted you to see it. This is for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Think about that. When we think of promises, what do we think? Many of us, you, you had a parent, or you've had a spouse, or you've had a significant person in your life, a boss, a, a company that made promises to you, and those promises went unfulfilled. And it can cause us to feel very skeptical of the promises that God makes for us. That promises often feel so long and, and being fulfilled so long and being realized that they, they seem ethereal, they seem like they're abstract, that they're nebulous, that they're just floating around, that they're never going to actually come to fruition. That's how they would have felt in the first century. And so here, is, here are the shepherds, and they've heard the promises. Perhaps one of the reasons that they've disregarded the worship or disregarded the law of the Lord is that these promises have seemed so long in the tooth, so far from being fulfilled, that they seem completely insignificant to them. Except finally, that king became this baby. Here's what I mean by that. When we talk about the promises of God that, that God has made to us, how do, I, how do we always talk? How do, how do I present them to you? So often, we come to these climactic moments in the sermon, and I'll say something to the effect of this, on that day. On that day, there will be no more tears. On that day, your suffering will turn to glory. On that day, you will become fully sanctified, the person that God has made you to be. On that day, you will have no threat of sin. There will be no, no danger lurking around the corner. On that day, there will be no distance between you and God. On that day, the Savior will come and he will retrieve his church. On that day. These first century Jews had heard those stories all of their life. And what Luke wants us to see is that that day has become this day. 
that day, the day of promise, has become this day, the day of realization. That which felt abstract has become concrete. He says this very directly there in verse 11. He says, this day. That seems like a very innocuous phrase, except it's actually a theme for Luke. In his two uh, books of the Bible, this, com- this phrase comes up 20 times. And he's talking about the inauguration of the messianic kingdom, that, that the promises that God has made to come and to deliver his people and to bring about the son of David to sit upon the throne of David and to inaugurate this new kingdom that is not of this world. That promise that has been coming this day is reality. That that king, that king has now been born. There's a baby. There's a person. These aren't just thoughts about the future. These aren't just hope-sos. This has happened. That day has become this day. In fact, here in, uh, in Luke chapter 2, talking to the shepherds of all people, we have some of the richest Christology in any of the four Gospels. Certainly the richest Christology, the theology of Jesus himself, the person of Christ, that we find in the birth narratives. Look at what it says in verse 12. I'm sorry, at the end of verse 11, you have three titles. Remember, Mary is given the name Jesus, which somewhat tells us what he's going to do. But shepherds are given the titles. These aren't names, okay? Christ is not the last name of Jesus. It's the title of Jesus, okay? These shepherds are given three different titles stacked upon one another so that we can understand the the impact and the power of what's being communicated. That he is a savior, That is, he is the one that has come to be the deliverer of Israel from their oppressors. He's the one that has come to help get rid of these occupying enemy forces. He is the Savior, but he's not just the Savior. He's the Christ. This is the New Testament word for Messiah. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one of God. The one that will come and and bring about God's will on the earth. And he's the Lord. He's the Lord. Throughout the first and second chapters of Luke, every time, in fact, in this, na- in this, in this very uh, narrative, every time Lord comes up, it's a reference to God himself. That this deliverer, this child of David, this Messiah, is actually God himself. And so the sign, the sign that the angels give to the shepherds that they will know that all of these things are true must have struck them nearly dead. It would have jarred them to their very bones. Here is the king, the royal. Here is the Messiah, the one that is inaugurating a new kingdom. Here is the one that is God. And the sign, the sign is that he is going to be a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths that he's going to be lying in a manger? That's the sign? See, that king became this baby. And in the same person, that God became this servant. I wonder if there are some of you, you came with your families this morning, and you kind of wish you didn't have to. Can I just say, first of all, I'm so thankful that you're here. And maybe you would even sit and wonder and say, I don't even believe any of this. And I, and I don't really know how any modern person could believe that this is true. Or how any modern person could believe that there's anything good in there for them. You say that the glory of God humiliates us. Are we? How in the world would we sell in a self-esteem culture a God whose glory humiliates the people? 
this is where this is where the message becomes beautiful. This is where Christmas becomes beautiful. This is where Christmas becomes relevant for the most modern and secular of person. Is yes, the glory of God humiliates those of us who are sinners in its presence. But God himself gave up his glory. God himself forfeited the pleasures of his glory and God humiliated himself so that all of us who are humiliated in his presence might thus be exalted by his very own righteousness. Think of those shepherds. They go and they see that baby and there is the one who is the creator of all things and the sustainer of all things. There is the one upon whom, whom has placed his imprint upon every person that has been born. The creation is, as Calvin says, a grand theater for his glory. And he has to be swaddled and held by a teenage mother. What humiliation for such a glorious God. Here he is, the, the king of kings and the, the lord of lords. He is the one before whom all of the angels are bowing down and declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The psalmist says that he is the God that never sleeps and never slumbers. And yet because he laid down the rights of his deity, there he is, the God of the universe, asleep, not in a crib, not in a castle, but in hay. Utter humiliation. You see, the fearsomeness of God's glory has been overcome by the ferocity of God's grace. That this baby has hum is the God of the universe humiliating himself that all of us who are humiliated in our sin might be overcome. Even if you don't believe it's true, don't you wish that it was? Don't you find yourself in your heart a desire of finding a God that good, a gospel that, that beautiful to be true? I ask you, what do you do with the resurrection? Contemplate it. Examine it for yourself. Because I believe this is the truth. I believe this is the truth and I believe it's the, the hope for you. That these aren't just promises and this just isn't just pie in the sky and this isn't just a hope so. This isn't just some kind of way to, to bind the wounds of, of weak little people. These are promises that became a person and were made concrete in the real world. And that day became this day. And the, that day that all of us are longing for, that second return of Christ, I know it seems abstract and I know it seems a long time coming. But one day, that day will be this day. That day will be this day. That brings me to the last reason that I want you to see of why Christmas really matters. That peace became possible on that day. So there, the, the angels are explaining to the shepherds what's going on. And don't, don't worry, don't, don't be afraid. I bring good news of great joy for you, for all the people. And as the lead angel, the angel of the Lord, is explaining all of this, heaven just can't hold it back any longer. 
all of a sudden, in the midst of the glory of God that has shone around the shepherds, the, the glory of God that has been breaking news and interrupted their, their evening that night, all of a sudden, that one angel turns into a multitude of angels, and they are singing the song of heaven, Gloria in excelsis Deo, that is Latin for glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest, that he is good and he is glorious and he is high above all things. And this, this God who has an irreversible will, this God who is filled with unstoppable power, this God which has, is unassailably holy, he has come and become imminent among you. He loves you. He cares for you. There is no creature in heaven on earth apart from God himself, that is mightier than an angel. The Bible tell, describes times in which angels, a single angel can overcome hundreds of thousands of the mightiest warriors. That you can take all of the atomic bombs in the entire world and stack them up on top of one another, and they are not mightier than a single angel that is filled with the power of God himself. And when armies of angels show up, when armies that are mightier than you, when armies that are, are able to take over, when they show up, it's not usually for peace. It's usually for war. It's usually so that they can take what you have. So they can take what they want. But these angels, they come and they declare peace. And they don't come to take what you have. They come to give you what you could never possess on your own. They come to offer you, through Christ, a gift that you could never attain in a thousand lifetimes. That here is the mightiest military, the mightiest army, the mightiest creatures in all the universe. And they are for you. And they are on your side. So that when they declare peace, peace is reality. They are your allies. They are in your corner. They are the ones that are fighting on the vanguard of this broken world for us. So peace, peace isn't a pipe dream, man. Pre peace isn't a hope so. Peace is what... All of us are looking for it. All of us are searching for it. And it's actually possible because the promise became a person. Because the bad news became good news. Because this baby was born. Now this peace is possible. But it's not automatic. It is for those with whom he is pleased. See there's a single prerequisite. To be able to have peace with God and peace with God being the starting point with, as, of peace throughout all of your life and your relationships. And the peace that is without understanding. It begins with peace with God. And there's a single prerequisite. That you bow down before the servant God and declare him as king. That if you on this Christmas would stop for a second. You've never gotten it, you've never loved it, you've never appreciated it, you've never saved it, maybe until this very moment. But right now, the glory of God, like those shepherds all those years ago, has arrested your heart. Would you just close your eyes or open your mind or look up to the heavens and say, You are my king, God. You are my king. All that I have is, which is nothing, is yours. All that I can do, which is nothing, is yours. My life is yours. And if that's the case, 
you will be given the righteousness of Christ. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.